brand new series today. It's called Change, Making Change. Uh, making change, and yes, we are uh, taking a look at a biblical view, a godly view towards money. I don't know if you realize this, but money reveals a lot about ourselves. I think power reveals a lot about ourselves. Um, pressure reveals a lot about us, right? Um, have you ever found that, that like, when stuff starts coming out of you, the, the temptation is to say, yeah, but it's a stress that's making me like this. And, and I, I know what we mean when we say that, but it Stress can't make me like that. Stress reveals what's inside of me, right? It's like if you squeeze a toothpaste uh, tube, if tomato sauce comes out, you're going to be concerned, right? Because you're expecting toothpaste to come out of the tube. Similarly, when we experience uh, prosperity, uh, pressure, uh, power, all these kinds of things, conflict in our lives, um, it, it tends to reveal what's actually happening uh, inside of us. Jesus spoke about this in Matthew 7, verse 17. He said, a good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. I don't know if this was revolutionary to his hearers back in the day, but he's saying basically the root is going to influence the fruit, right? Verse 20 goes on to say, yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. So, so, so I want to be very clear. This isn't about looking at the fruit in other people's lives. I'm saying I think it's really good for us to actually take some stock and say, okay, what does the way that I approach money say about my relationship to God? Because I actually believe that this is a gospel issue. I actually believe that, that money, power, influence, opportunity, um, stress, pressure, all these things um, ultimately actually come down to my relationship with God. And that's why we spend a lot of time in the Sermon on the Mount, which again, keeps going back to our hearts. So three things that I want to touch on today that I think money reveals about us. The first one is that money reveals the level of lordship. It reveals the level of lordship. So here's the question. Is Jesus, this is obviously speaking to people that are already in a relationship with God. So you've already chosen to begin this journey, this relationship with God. The question is this, is Jesus only my savior or is he my Lord? Because there's a difference. Jesus being my savior is kind of like eternal fire insurance, okay? Or it's, or it's wanting to be rescued from negative stuff. But it, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's my Lord, if he's my Lord, then his instruction isn't an opinion, it's a direction. But if he's just my savior, well then, well then I, I subscribe to some element of a Christian worldview, but, but, but he doesn't really get to tell me what to do with the rest of my life. That's why I say that it's a gospel issue. And that's the challenge, I think, for pastors, for preachers, is that it's so easy for us to, to look at various topics from a typical um, helpful, constructive, self-help type way, which, which in many cases is not incorrect, but it's incomplete. Because we can talk about how to be more effective or how to have better relationships or how to be more uh, wealthy even and, and to manage. And we're gonna look at some practical stuff in the weeks ahead. But if we miss this thing about the heart, if we miss that, you see, again, it's so easy for us to come to God saying, God, help me to basically be comfortable and convenient. Help me, help me to be secure. Help me to have enough um, which, which again, there are elements of that prayer that is not wrong if it's done from the right motive and if that is surrendered to God. So if you're saying, God, I want you to give me everything that you can trust me with, that's very different to me placing my faith in 
having what I think will bring me joy and peace and hope. So, so the, the difference is this, the difference is this, right? If my faith is in the provider versus his provision, then I'm gonna believe that actually, if I grow in my relationship with God, then the fruit of that relationship is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control, right? That's, that's if I think that, that the ultimate fulfillment comes from God. But if I think, if I'm not convinced of that, then by nature, the temptation is gonna be to think, well, and maybe we're not thinking money per se, but we're thinking, well, if I can just afford a, a safer place, if I can just maybe not rent and maybe buy a place, if, I can, if we don't maybe use public transport and I could buy a car, or if, or if we could buy a second car, or a better car, or a third car, or a safer car, or if we could just have this kind of holiday, then maybe uh, you know, I would feel more refreshed. And, and, and again, in and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with those things. The question is, is my faith in those things? Is my faith in, think about this carefully, honestly, is my faith in if I can get a certain education, then I think I can have the life that I wanna have? Versus God, help me to see what's within my control. Help me to see what I can do with my current limits and, and where, where can I push that and challenge that and do the very best I can to steward them. But God, help me to actually trust you, that you actually have a plan and a purpose for my future. Because the reality is not everybody can get the education that they would ideally like to have. Not everybody can live where they would like to live. Not everybody can live in a safe environment, which, which is a whole other issue. That's a justice issue and it's unfortunate. But, but, but what do we do when that is where you're living? When those are your circumstances? Is my faith and my security in the fact that I have a medical aid or that I, or that I might, may or may not have a sufficient pension? Or am I doing the best I can and I surrender to God and I'm trying to be a good steward, I'm being diligent, but ultimately I'm saying, God, you bring hope, you bring joy, you bring peace. Does this make sense? There's a difference between whether or not I am subscribing to a traditional, typical worldview that believes that if I can have enough, I will be enough. If, if, if I can just have what I think will make, will satisfy me, well then I will experience the levels of, of joy and, and peace and hope. And the thing is, it will, but to a certain extent, and for a season. But even the most financially secure will face circumstances that are out of their control. And if that is the anchor, if, that's, if that is my foundation, then where do, where do I go when someone I love is dying and, and all the money and all the, and all the medical treatment in the world cannot resolve that? Or, 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 or where do I go when I'm experiencing relational conflict and all the money and, and, and all the material stuff in the world cannot resolve that when it's requiring something else? Is this making sense? Is my faith in the provider or is it in provision? By the way, the story of the prodigal son found in Luke 15, we see two brothers. The one we tend to call the prodigal son, he was the reckless, you know, crazy, rebellious one. The other one was righteous, but like in a, in a terrible way. Neither of them wanted the father. They wanted the father's things. The one just went about it in a more blunt, direct, in-your-face, rebellious way. The other one did it by trying to be good. 
And that's how we know that we're in danger if as Christians we're trying to tick all the boxes in order to have control over God so that He guarantees me a prosperous life. Now, now the thing is, I do think that God offers us prosperity, but I think that sometimes His definition of prosperity is different. I know, I know some people, and just, just to be very clear in advance, I know very wealthy people and I know people that are very under-resourced. Both of which, so, so it's not a circumstance, it's an attitude issue, that, that, that have a genuine, surrendered attitude towards God. That, that no matter what's happening, the first question is, God, what's your will? This is, my life is yours, my family is yours, I'm yours, what do you want? My answer is yes, what do you want? And for those that are under-resourced, there's a peace and a security and, a, and an obedience to God. And then, and then, like I said, there's others that I've known that have Again, from season to season, constantly come back to God. What do you want? What does good stewardship look like? Because it is an issue of followership. Our fin- the way we approach our finances is an issue of followership. Am I just wanting God to save me or am I wanting to follow Jesus? Because by the way, Jesus never spoke about just getting saved. He spoke about being a disciple. And I think the scary thing for a lot of Christians, and by the way, in this passage, Chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about this. Many are going to say one day, yeah, but I did this and I did this and I did this for you. And he's like, but I never knew you. So, so he's saying that this isn't about just agreeing that Jesus is who he said he is or just once off praying a prayer but then living my life however I want to. No, no. It is about whether or not I'm following Jesus. It reveals Lordship. Matthew chapter 6 verse 19. By the way, these, these two portions, so what I've just read in Matthew chapter 7 and Matthew chapter, what I'm about to read in Matthew chapter 6, is still in the Sermon on the Mount. We're not continuing with that series. It just happens to be a part of this thing, so just relax. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven. In other words, in other words make sure that what matters most, for an, from an eternal perspective, is our priority. Where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in a steel. And then this is a verse that some of you might be familiar with, but it should constantly cause us to reflect. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Like it's distracting, but that could be a good distraction or it could be a bad distraction, right? Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will also be. What, what we treasure the most controls us. So again, there's a good control and there's a bad control. He goes on in verse 24 to say, no one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. At least in, in perspective, you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, this doesn't mean that you, don't, that you can't have God and money. We need money, Okay. You wouldn't be sitting here today without money. You're all wearing clothes, which, you, which you're very grateful for. Chances are you've eaten in the last 24 hours. This building has cost us. This isn't an anti-money issue. This is, the Bible doesn't say that money is rootable evil. It says that the love of money. In other words, if that's where my faith is. But it's interesting that in some versions of the Bible, those of you that have been around for a really long time will remember the versions where it makes reference to mammon. Because mammon was, so, so where, where, where the older versions would say, you cannot serve both God and mammon, because mammon was actually the small g God of money. Now you might think, well, who worships money? 
as though it's a God. To which my answer would be like, really? I would say, like, who doesn't? Like who, like, who doesn't put their faith and trust and hope? The most blatant example of this that I've ever experienced, and I've experienced many, but, and as well as in my own life, but the most blatant example that I've seen of this, I've mentioned before, was when I was in Dubai a few years ago, we had a, a lengthy layover, and Graham Evans and I were taken around by a taxi driver just, just around different parts of Dubai, showing us some stuff. And he kept making this statement. Now, he was a foreigner as well. He was somewhere, from, somewhere else in the Middle East. I can't remember where. Um, he was struggling himself. I mean, he gave us just some of the costs of what it cost for them just to live there. He'd see his wife and family. Like every, I think he could have been from like Pakistan or Sri Lanka or something. He'd go back every six months or every year. Um, so, so, so he himself was really hustling to just make a living and to send some money back. But I remember him saying over and over again, because remember, you're in the middle of the desert. Well, not the middle, like you're kind of on the edge of the desert. And he would show us these like man-made like rivers flowing through the city. And, you'd, and I mean, those of you that know about Dubai would know about man-made islands that have been created and all kinds of stuff. But he kept making the statement, money can do anything. Money can do anything. I've never, ever, before that or since then, felt like it was such a declaration of faith. Like he was convinced. His confidence was in the fact that money can do anything. This, I felt like it was more of a spiritual statement than just an observation. Like, hey, if you've got enough money, you can kind of build a city. Well, we know you can build a city, but, but it was kind of like, it was like a faith statement. And it really freaked me out a little bit. I was like, wow, this is just such a blatant example of what so many of us think on a slightly more subconscious level. So the question is kind of like, is God my lucky charm or is he Lord? So he's in my lucky charm where I just want him to bless me, please me, heal me, save me, you know, or, or is he Lord? Where it's like, God, hey, I'm yours. You're not mine who, who I keep in my pocket and, 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 you know, when I need a little bit of luck, you know, I just rub the rabbit's foot and, and, and please like sprinkle pixie dust on this thing and on that meeting. And no, no, God, is, is my life surrendered to God? My responsibility is not just to make you happier and more comfortable and helping you to live a slightly more pleasant life. I believe that my responsibility from God, for myself first, my family, and for anyone else that, that God entrusts us to try and care for and, and encourage and teach and lead, is not just can we make life a bit more comfortable? Can we make, how can we live our best lives now? No, no, it's are we living a life that is trusting and loving and worshiping and surrendered to God. His will. Because it really does matter more than my will. It really does matter more than just comfort. This life is not heaven. This is not eternity. This is a campsite. We are aliens passing through, the Bible tells us. Like we are just, like, like everything that we're experiencing from our physical bodies to, to, our, to where we live physically, it's a campsite. And, and unless we see that, we're, we're going to be increasingly tempted to worship and to trust and to long for provision as opposed to the provider, believing that, that underneath it all, only God can meet our deepest, deepest deepest needs. Proverbs 3 verse 5 to 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart 
and do not depend on your own understanding. So there's nothing wrong with having your own understanding, but, but okay, if we're going to depend, let's depend on God. Then, verse 6, seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. In other words, is God's will my priority? Is His instruction just an opinion, or is it direction? Is God's opinion, is, is God's instruction just one more opinion to weigh up? Or is it like, well, it's God. Like God said it, that settles it. It goes on in verse 9 to say, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the best part of everything you produce. Remember back then, everyone you know, was farmers. And verse 10, then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Money reveals lordship. Number two, money reveals our level of gratitude. It reveals our level of gratitude. Whether or not I'm actually grateful for what I have, or do I feel entitled to what I have? So the question for us is, am I entitled, or am I grateful? And again, whether or not you have very, very little, and I'm so mindful of the country we live in, and the city that we live in, and the diversity with, with which people that are in our congregation come from, it is dramatic. The question is, whatever I do or don't have, am I grateful or am I entitled? In other words, do I recognize the source of provision? You can, you can enjoy it, appreciate it, thank God for it, but let's never forget the source. This is a lengthy passage of scripture, but stick, stick with me, please. This is one of the most encouraging and sobering passages all at the same time from the Old Testament, in my opinion, when it comes to our, our attitude towards money. In verse 10 of Deuteronomy chapter 8, it says, when you have eaten and are satisfied. So, so this is speaking to the Israelites. They've, they've been delivered out of slavery. They've wandered around the desert for 40 years. Now they're going into the promised land. So God's, God through Moses is warning them. He's like, life has been tough, it's about to get good in you. It's going to be raining money, okay? He's like, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be the best ever. If it was Donald Trump. Okay? It's like, it's going to get amazing in here. It's like you're going to hit the jackpot. So when you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. You see, prosperity has an amazing way of making it easy for us to forget the source. By the way, lack can also do that, where we can get angry and feel like victims, anyway, so stick with me. Do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe His commands, His laws, and His decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, listen to this, otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses, and settle down. When your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, so when you're, when you're killing it, when your bank balance is way more than you need and you're able to expand and you can you know, take your company public, when everything is amazing and all you have is multiplied, verse 14 says, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Verse 15, he led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and, wo and, and, and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you. He's trying to remind them of what he's done for you. And that's, that's all gratitude is, by the way. It's just, it's remembering. It's remembering what God has done. It's remembering who he is. It's remembering his kindness and his faithfulness. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. 
Then verse 17, this is where it gets quite sobering. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms His covenant which He swore to your ancestors as it is today. In other words, you, you could be experiencing the, the, the rewards of hard, diligent work. That's good. You, you, may, you may have stewarded well an education or certain opportunities or, or, or relationships with certain people of influence that, that, that others haven't had, and, but you've stewarded well and you've multiplied it. You've done well with it. Nothing wrong with that. Just don't forget who gave you the ability Don't forget who's given you a mind that can be applied to accounting or to business or to entrepreneurship. Don't, don't forget the one who's given you the ability to work with your hands, which he clearly hasn't given me, like, like where you can be creative and solve problems. No, no, let's remember the source. He's not saying don't be, he's saying you're gonna be prosperous. Just remember where it comes from. You see, the humble remember and are grateful. The proud forget and are arrogant. So let's thank God for his past provision and the abilities that he's given us to do the best that we can with what's in front of us. Let's nurture a habit of gratitude and generosity. There's very little, by the way, that, that develops an attitude of gratitude more than generosity, where you are intentional with, with, with what you have. With, and if you don't have finances, Maybe there are other ways that you can serve people and love on people and just give people time. But I'm just telling you that there's something about generosity that keeps the muscle of gratitude alive and vibrant and strong. Last, last idea, last point, is that money reveals our level of contentment. It reveals our level of contentment. The question here is, am I content or constantly comparing? Am I content or constantly comparing? One of the ways we know this is by the level of peace that we have. Uh, so, so, so you kind of know whether social media is good for you or not based on you know, whether or not you kind of are left feeling happy for other people. Yeah. You know, and kind of like, like, it was, like, it, like it's informative and it's life-giving, you're so happy for all these people that are you know, putting the best lives forward on social media now. Or, or if it kind of leaves you feeling a little bit gross, a little bit, ugh, a little bit, yay, so happy for you. <laughs> you know, and, and it can also manifest in ways of complaining, whether you're complaining in your own mind or whether you're actually complaining in others. But contentment, guys, th there is something super, again, this can only come out of a healthy, vital, personal, interactive, regular, consistent relationship with God. Contentment is not just being Buddhist Zen, where you just empty yourself of everything and you don't want anything and you try and starve every possible desire. There's something to be found in growing in our relationship with God where, where, where we allow Him regularly to remind us of what He's put into our hand, what He's chosen not to put into our hands. What has He trusted us with? What has He not trusted us with? What has he given to us that he hasn't given to someone else, but where has he given things to other people that he hasn't given to us and where we are to say, God, this is one life. I, I, don't, I don't want to waste it by comparing to others. I want to accept 
your plan, your way. And by the way, contentment, I've got to be so clear, is not the same as complacency. Complacency is apathy, it's laziness, it's, 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 it's not being willing. I actually think that to be, to be grateful and to be content is to be very, very diligent. We are, we, are, we are grateful for what we have and we are good stewards of it. And we'll look at that way more practically next week. We're gonna take a look at very practical elements of, of actually stewarding our finances. So it's not, con- it's not complacency. It's not just apathy. No, no, it's being diligent with what we know God has put in our hands. But take a look at it, Hebrews chapter 13, verse five. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Not money, we need it. Just the love of money. In other words, let's not worship that and make that the center of everything. And be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Now, I also want to be very clear that I am not for a second romanticizing poverty. I think poverty is often the result of sheer evil in the world. Poverty is often the result of injustice, of corruption. If someone chooses to, have a, to, to live a very modest, uh, sober life, that's, that's, that's up to them. But to not even have the choice whether or not to send your, your child to a school, whether or, not, whether or not to know how you're going to put food on the table tomorrow. Guys, that, there's nothing romantic about that. So please don't misunderstand me. And I'm so mindful that when we do a series like this that we've got people in our church for whom they are needing miraculous intervention and provision. It, guys, we cannot live in South Africa and not be aware of the ridiculous, outrageous discrepancies that exist. So I've got to ask myself, anything that I'm trying to convey from the Bible, am I conveying it only for people that, that are living in a certain uh, kind of like standard of life? Or is this true regardless? And I have to say that I have to believe that when the Bible talks to us about being content, when the Bible encourages us that God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, that that has to be at least as valid to the person who doesn't know how they're gonna feed their family tomorrow as the person who's looking for the next promotion. And, and that's not evil, looking for the next promotion, and this isn't modest and humble that you're desperate. Guys, we, we're, we're actually standing on an even playing field saying, God, my life is yours. And so I do believe that it requires something supernatural to not, I mean, it's, it's easy to say, I trust God, uh, God's all I need when I've got everything I need. It's very hard, and, and some of you sitting here, and some of you watching online or listening to this later on WhatsApp, because frankly, you don't have enough data to watch this online. You know that when you say God is all I need, it's because you really don't have what you need. And yet you're having to trust Him somehow for today and for tomorrow. Philippians 4, verse 11 to 13. Just, just to encourage you, I think, I think that this is legit. This is Paul the Apostle writing from prison, okay? So this isn't, he's not writing from some ivory tower somewhere. He's not, he's not some prosperity gospel preacher. He's not flying in his private jet from place to place saying, hey guys, I've learned to be content. No, no, he's writing from prison. And he says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned and it is something that you learn, by the way, so don't be discouraged if you haven't learned this yet. I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty. 
I, I want to emphasize the fact that this is, as Jenna mentioned earlier, the author of the majority of the New Testament. He's saying, I, I know what it, hey, I've, he's, he's literally given his life to God and he has had seasons where his stomach is empty. He's had seasons where he's in prison, where he's been beaten, where he's cold. So please don't let some lunatic, idiot, foreign preacher tell you that if you just have enough faith, you can have whatever you want. You can have your best life now. That's garbage. It's crap. That's what that is. That is someone who's not reading the Bible, in my opinion. Because actually, if you read the New Testament, there's far more testimony to the early Christians, the early disciples struggling and suffering. Now, just to be clear, I don't want that. I don't want that. But let's not make it a superstitious, witchcraft version of Christianity. Paul, I'm just telling you that if you're struggling today, please take courage. Hey, Jesus said, I don't know where I'm laying my head tonight. He's the one that we're following. So, so please don't let someone else convince you that, that, it's, that, it's, that, that if you're poor, it's because of sin in your life. No, we, we've all got sin in our lives. So it can't just be that. Or if you love God enough, you'll have everything you need. I mean, you will, but again, according to whose definition? I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I've heard that verse so many times throughout my life, and it's very rarely been in the context of when I don't have enough. It's very rarely in the context of when I've learned to be content, whether I'm hungry or well-fed, whether I'm warm or cold. Guys, that's radical. I'm not gonna lie to you. That's radical, and in my opinion, it's impossible outside of a relationship with Jesus. There's something about contentment that just gives us this confidence and security. It comes from a confidence and a security in God. Psalm 37 verse four, this is a, a, a passage that came to mean a lot to me in, the, in my early adulthood that, that has carried me through many different seasons. Take delight in the Lord and he'll give you your heart's desires. Now you might think, didn't you just say he's not gonna give you everything you want? Yes, I did. But you see, pay attention to the first part of this verse. When we delight ourselves in God, when we're making him our priority, when we're trying to order my desires with his desires, well, of course he's gonna give me my heart's desires because my heart's desires are gonna be his desires because I'm delighting in his desires. So if I want what God wants, of course he's gonna give me what I want because what I want is what God wants. And he wants to give me what I want if it's what he wants. So delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Like that gives us security. Guys, I'm just telling you, I know people. I mean, I wish I could tell some stories here, but it's not mine to tell. I'm just telling you, I know people where, where, where it is just testimony after testimony of how God has met them in their place of need and hasn't always given them what I wish God would give them, but has met them and provided. And verse five says, commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. Last passage of scripture, and then we're gonna wrap up. Is Matthew six, verse 30 onwards. Again, some of you will be familiar with this. It says, if God cares so wonderfully for the world, in fact, come on, can I get you to stand? Stand with me. Let's shift gears. I, I want you to hear this. I want you to receive this. All these notes and scriptures are on you version. Just make sure you save them. I know, I've, I know I've shared so many different passages with you. Some of these need to go 
You need to take these away and go and reflect on these, meditate on them, chew on them, let them be digested and ask God how he's wanting us to apply them. But, but for some people, you need to hear this as words of life today. This is Jesus speaking. If God cares so wonderfully for the, wild, the wildflowers, so it, it appears that he's saying, hey, God cares about the wildflowers, okay? That are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow. He will certainly care for you. That's the point of that passage. He cares for you. Hey, 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 hey. He cares for you is what Jesus is trying to say. Why do you have so little faith? Well, I think that the answer is because I don't know how much He cares for me. When I'm struggling in my faith, it's because I'm struggling to recognize how much God loves me. I'm not, I'm not walking in confidence and security in how much God loves me. I'm not slowing down to look at God looking at me with love. I'm not connecting with Him in a personal, intimate enough way to, to, to have my identity placed in Him, to have my security placed in Him. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will I eat? What will I drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Someone needs to hear that today. God knows your need. And I want to take it a step further and say, God knows your need beneath the need. So often we think, God, if you'll just give me this, and he's like, I mean, I can give that to you. That's easy. But, but I'm going to give you what you really need, which is something deeper, something more significant. And verse 33, seek the kingdom of God above all else. In other words, if he's not our priority, if he and his kingdom is not my priority, I promise you I'm going to be seeking and worshiping provision, not the provider. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. That means we're going to follow Jesus and he will give you everything you need. So that is here in the Bible. It does say he'll give you everything you need, but again, according to his definition. So don't worry about tomorrow. Because as many of you know, tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Let's trust God that if He cares about the flowers, if He cares about animals, if He, man, God cares about you. He cares about me. We can place our faith in the provider, in our Lord. And maybe it starts with just the exercise of remembering what He has done and expressing gratitude and asking God to help us to find our contentment and our security in Him. Father, please, in Jesus' name, help us to see You for who You are. You are not our lucky charm. You are our Lord. You weren't just outrageously, recklessly generous and kind and gracious in allowing Jesus to die a painful, miserable death on our, beho- on our behalf. But even more than that, beyond that, you've invited us into a life that is fully life, a life that is flourishing regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what the world would define as being successful and prosperous or not. God, forgive us for times where we define prosperity in exactly the same way as those that have no relationship with you. And God, forgive us for those times where we just want you to be that lucky charm or where we just um, want to kind of accept you and put you into a category of Savior, but not actually surrender to you as Lord. So Father, I pray for people that are here today or watching this right now or listening to this later. 
Father, that, that you would help us to see where you are inviting us to bridge that gap between just accepting you as Savior and actually choosing to follow you as Lord. Help us to grow in our followership. Help us to know that this isn't just a once-off decision. This is a daily, ongoing commitment as we keep walking with you, talking with you, listening to you, trying to be sensitive to you, allowing you to correct us and to be gracious and merciful when we need to try again. God, I pray that you would do what only you can do, which is to give us a revelation Way, way beyond the rational, way beyond just our intellect and, and academic study. God, give us a fresh revelation of the invitation to following you. God, I pray that you would give people such clear discernment in this moment to actually see whether or not we're seeing you as Lord or just as Savior. And Lord, help us to be bold and courageous and diligent as we make the changes that we need to make in order to genuinely, genuinely follow you. Day in, day out, day in, day out, where your, where your instruction is our direction, where you have the final say. Help us to look at our finances as being surrendered to you, at our careers as being surrendered to you, as our and our relationships being surrendered, our bodies, God, every part of our lives. Help us not to distinguish between what we think is a spiritual category and all the other categories of our lives. Help us to see that it's all spiritual. Everything works out of our relationship with you. And Father, for people that need to be encouraged that, that this isn't hype, that you really are our provider, that you, that you won't leave us or forsake us. Even, God, as someone might be listening to this today that has literally got a hungry stomach. God, I pray that your word would be true, would be felt in a real way. And God, I pray for us as a church, God, that we would not just gather to get a little injection and then go on and do our own lives, God, but that we would increasingly be the family and the church and the army that you want us to be where, we do, where we're doing what we can to actually be part of the solution to some of those hungry stomachs, to some of the injustices, to some of the unfairness. Help us to hear you and help us to obey you individually and as families and as a church. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen.